Hello, everyone, and welcome in to this week of the Jumbo Cast podcast. Today, I'll be hosting. Uh, my name is Trevor Russo, senior here at Jumbo Cast. And, you know, most major sports have wrapped up. Of course, the pandemic season's finishing around late October, early November. So we've got a couple of sports here. Uh, we've got the NFL, of course, still going strong despite uh, increasing cases and Surprisingly, golf in November. We've got the Masters going on, rescheduled from April. Uh, we've got our resident expert, Zach Eskenazi, to talk about that. Daniel Mahoney will be on football. Uh, yeah, we'll just get right into it. Uh, first up, we're going to go to the Masters. A little bit late in unseasonable weather right now, but, you know, golf's got to go on. And what, what better than a socially distant sport? Zach, how are you doing today? Uh, doing well, Trevor. Thanks for having me on. How are you? Oh, of course. It's a pleasure to have you on. And it's a pleasure to talk some golf. Now, uh, you know, we've got a, a bit of a, uh, a good story here from, from last time around. Of course, everyone remembers Tiger coming back. Uh, everyone always wondered, can he do it? Can he not do it? Uh, Tiger, of course, winning the Masters after years of trying to rehab from that back injury. Uh, would you say he's the current favorite right now, or uh, how is his year stacked up in comparison to the other players? Yeah, so, you know, it's kind of hard to, um, you know, not uh, think about Tiger going into this tournament. You know, Augusta's the type of course that, you know, tends to favor experience. The greens are, you know, known for being notoriously tricky. So, you know, five green jackets at this point, you know, never going to, you know, be a bad thing. You know, after round one, I want to say Tiger was three back of the lead. So, you know, if he puts together a good round today on round two, then I like his chances going into the weekend. Okay. And, you know, the big factor overall of this is not Tiger or the course or even a little bit of the rain. It is the fact that we are living through uh, a pandemic right now. And, of course, you know, usually when you picture golf, you picture the wide open expanses, but you also picture crowds tightly packed together, uh, cheering, of course, in their respectful ways they do. Now, with you know, the fact that there's no fans and the fact that the tournament's being held in November, how does that affect the players? And I guess, how does that also affect the viewing experience of golf? Yeah, so, you know, from the, from the player's perspective, you know, I'd, I'd imagine it'd be you know, kind of weird to not have the fans. You know, a lot of the players were saying that, you know, one, one of the things that makes the Masters unique is just having the, the crowds. And you know, especially last year after Tiger won, just hearing, like, the roars and the cheers definitely helped to, like, add to the experience. Um, and just, just watching the tournament on TV, it's, like, almost kind of weird to see the, the course without any of the grandstands or um, any of the fans. And it just kind of looks like, really empty um, like not like there's not a ton of people there um and yeah from the from the course perspective you know the i guess from the fans it almost makes it like a little bit more wide open is kind of bad as that sounds with you know out, out fans so I don't, I don't know how that's gonna i guess play into it but it should be an exciting weekend yeah of course of course uh quick question have they been piping in crowd noise for the uh for the Masters on TV, or is they has it just been silent? I think it has been pretty silent. I want to say they have um like a, a small crowd there, like all the the members of uh, Augusta National. They're 
and I think some like you know limited um like friends and family of the players like have access and are on the grounds right now, but you can't just you know go out and buy a ticket, obviously. So it's just like oh, so you get like a little bit of the crowd noise, but you know obviously it's nowhere near what uh, a normal year would look like. Of course, of course. Uh, so you know we're already through day one. Uh, I'm sure the golf has looked, uh, despite the circumstances, pretty good. How would you say uh, it's compared to previous day ones? And in general, how do you think this tournament is going to stack up against previous Masters? Yeah, so, you know, day one, um, you know, definitely was a pretty exciting tournament. Um, so we had had some rain in uh, Augusta yesterday morning, so had to um, send players off a little bit uh, later than usual. And I believe some people had to finish up really early this morning. Um it's one of the uh, more interesting things that Augusta is doing this year is that they're um, sending people off the number one tee and the number 10 tee. I think that'll be pretty interesting, especially for the guys going off the back nine, just because uh, 10 and 11 at Augusta are, you know, pretty long and challenging par fours. However, you have some you know, pretty easy birdie opportunities coming from the 13th and 15th holes, which are both like, pretty easy par fives. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it'll be a pretty interesting uh, tournament. And, you know, on top of that, it's kind of weird to see the, col- uh, the course with just kind of the, the fall colors. Uh, just, you know, as, as you said, we're normally used to seeing it in April with, you know, the pretty flowers and just having it uh, be super green. So it's kind of weird to see like, the leaf changing color um, on the trees in the background. Yeah, yeah, of course, definitely very different. Uh... Would you say that the people who've gone off the number 10 tee have suffered so far? Or how, which uh, are notable golfers who have had to be affected by the split tees? Yeah, so I think, uh, I guess it doesn't seem to have had uh, that big of an impact uh, so far. Um, I think Phil Mickelson went off uh, 10 tee this morning. I think uh, birdie the 10th hole. So that's, you know, obviously a pretty good way to start your it's round. It's a good sign, yeah. Yeah, a pretty good way to uh, start your round. Um, I guess, like, on top of that, um, doesn't seem to be making that big of an impact as much as I thought I uh, thought it would initially. But um, I guess maybe, you know, I guess we still got a lot of golf left to play today, so maybe it'll make you know, more of an impact uh, later in the day. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know... Bryson DeChambeau, he's a, he's a man who people love to hate. Uh, he's a man who people love to study because of his interesting approach to analytics and golf and his swing angle and whatever else he does. Uh, you know, but uh, for the show, you were talking to me about how he's actually been able to really refine his drive. Uh, how do you think this increased distance is going to help him in the tournament? And I guess, what have you thought of his driving so far? Yeah, so, you know, again, like, you know, Augusta, you know, kind of favors the long ball. So being able to, you know, hit the ball a long way, you know, will, you know, help you at any course, but, you know, particularly at this one. Uh, I want to say that, like, in, like, post coming back from COVID, I think uh, Bryson's been averaging, like, 340-something off the tee, which is just... Oh, did he have COVID? Uh, no, I guess, like, before, um, like, oh, after okay. coming, like, after the season restart, sorry for, like, not clarifying, like, after the season, like, no, restart, yeah, after the season, like, restarted from COVID, 
I think he's been averaging like 344, I want to say, off the tee. Um, so he, you know, went from like an average, um, average distance to, you know, leading the tour. Um, so I think that's definitely going to be a huge advantage. I think last week he played the course and they published some of the uh, clubs he hit into the lot and uh, some of the greens. So just a lot of wedges, a lot of short clubs. Um, so if he, you know, can hit the driver well, then I think he's going to have a really, I, I really like his chances this week. So. All right. So we got to talk about him. He's the reason uh, golf gets the numbers. Tiger Woods. How, of course, we, uh, he delighted us earlier in the pandemic with, uh, with the match, you know, him, Tom Brady, Phil Mickelson, and uh, Peyton Manning. That was definitely uh, a delight to watch. But uh, how has he done, I guess, uh, in real golf, not against uh, two football players this year? How, how's he doing? And how do you think he'll do? Yeah, so, um, you know, as, as I said, you know, it's kind of hard to ignore Tiger. Uh, you know, this year makes uh, is his 22nd Masters. And Augusta, you know, tends to reward experience. Um, you know, he, you know, he already has five green jackets, so I, I like his chances coming down the stretch on Sunday with, you know, close to the lead. Um, um, po- after the season restart, um, you know, Tiger hasn't been playing too well so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I think want to say he, you know, missed the cut at the U.S. Open back in September, um, but. No, no, that being said, I think Tiger, you know, likes this course a lot, likes this tournament a lot. Um, you know, seemed like he had played pretty well yesterday. So, you know, definitely looking for big things for the rest of the week from him. All right. All right. So we got, I believe it's three more days of golf, right? Uh, I, yeah. I hope I'm getting that right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we're day one is in the books. Uh, I forget who did you say was leading right now? Uh, I guess uh, right now, uh, Dustin Johnson uh, has the lead at nine under par. Oh, it's pretty good for the first day. Uh, so, you know, based on what you've seen so far and your, your pre-tournament picks coming in, who do you have taken? Yeah, so I guess, um, you know, go, going into the tournament, uh, I, I was liking, like, Bryson DeChambeau a lot just because of, you know, uh, just because of his driving distance. Um. You know, so if he's hitting the driver well, then I like his chances this year. Um, you know, I guess going in, I also, you know, like Brooks Kepka a lot. Uh, seems like he always plays pretty well in the majors. Uh, and it's also coming off a T2 finish last year. Um, you know, Brooks is also, you know, coming off of a missed, uh, disappointing finish in the PGA Championship. You know, shot like upper 70s on Sunday. Probably wasn't too thrilled on that one and had to miss the U.S. Open due to an injury. Um, so I don't know how that like added pressure um, is going to play into it, but if uh, Brooks Kepka is able to win this week, uh, it'll mark the fourth consecutive year where he has won a major. Um, I think mm. I want to say both of them were at two under following the first round, which I think was five back after the first round lead. So um, they're definitely going to need a, a strong round two to put themselves in contention going into the weekend. Okay, but who's your pick, Zach? I'm gonna I'm gonna get you for this. We're gonna, yeah. we're gonna find out who's your pick. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go Brooks. Brooks, Brooks. Right. yeah. Wow, you got him coming back all the way from minus two. Bold prediction, but that's what you yeah. get with our man Zach Eskenazi. Uh, yeah, one but... more quick question for you. Oh, sorry, I cut you off there. 
I know, a bold prediction, but uh, he seems like the type of guy to thrive under pressure. So that's, uh, that's, that's my take for this week. No doubt, no doubt. One quick question before you go. Uh, we were talking a bit about Bryson DeChambeau. Uh, what is your take on his, uh, you know, I guess you could, you could put quote-unquote stalling tactics. Do you think it's, it's, uh, it's fair? Do you think it's uh, something that they should maybe put a rule on? What, what, what do you, what's your stance on that? Um, you know, I think from the perspective of the other guys on tour, I think it's, you know, perfectly fair. Um, you know, the game of golf is just, you know, kind of always rewarded, uh, adding distance. Um, so, you know, if you could you know, get an advantage, you know, legally through just going to the gym, uh, pretty extensively, you're just, you know, toying around with the equipment just to try and hit the ball as far as you possibly can, um, no, I don't have any problems with that just because like generally like the, the longer guys have, you know, tended to you know, be like the, the better guys on tour. Um, so I think from that standpoint, I don't, I don't have any problems with it just because he, he put in a, a lot of work um, during the break uh, like when the season was suspended due to COVID. Um, so yeah, I think it, he definitely put in a lot of work. Um, so I think he should you know, get rewarded for the, like, all the work that he put in. All right, Zach Eskenazi, thank you so much for hopping on the pod, and we will see you later, and we'll see if that Brooks Kepra pick comes yeah. true. Yeah, thanks, Trevor. All right, so that is going to be it for golf, but, you know, in order to segue into our next topic, uh, we're going to provide a brief update on uh, some football. So, actually, Jim Nance, of course, uh, famed CBS announcer, uh, works golf and the NFL. He is actually not going to be able to announce football this week as he is calling the Masters for uh, for CBS, uh, which means actually you're not going to get any Tony Romo on your screen, and it's going to be all Fox for the early window. And here to talk some of those Fox games and, of course, the rest of the NFL at large, we have the man, Daniel Mahoney. Daniel, you in here? Hey, Trevor. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. It's always a pleasure. Uh, so before we start getting into the, uh, the main questions, we had a bit of Thursday night football action. Colts, Titans, uh, you know, of course, the Titans starting off super hot. They've cooled down. The Colts uh, have really been a surprise team in the AFC, but Phillip Rivers, his arm strength is starting to go. Uh, who came out victorious in this one for anyone who didn't watch? And what did you see? Yeah, it was a pretty big game in terms of the NFC South. The Colts put up an impressive performance defeating the Titans by a final score of 34-17. to uh, I think one of the, the biggest storylines, the Colts' defense did very well. They had a blocked punt return for a touchdown, um, and they managed to keep the, the star offensive players of the Titans, uh, kept them in check. Derrick Henry did manage to go for about 100 yards, uh, which for him is nothing. Um, and yeah, Tannehill... on the ground for him. <laughs> exactly. Um, and he wasn't able to find the end zone. And Tannehill ended the day with 147 yards passing, although about 30 of those came in garbage time towards the end of the game. Um, but the other big storyline for the Titans is uh, their special teams. So firstly, they've been having some difficulties throughout the season with their kicking. Steven Goskowski has now missed eight kicks on the season through just Ooh. about nine weeks. Uh, so That's we'll rough. see if they'll make any changes there. 
but the other big story, um, sort of interesting story perhaps, is the punting uh, decision. So their normal punter at the beginning of the season, um, if I can... Brett Kern, yeah. Yeah, Brett Kern, right? He punted for the first eight weeks, then was placed on IR before week nine. Um, so they brought in uh, Ryan Allen, who had been released earlier in the season. He punted in week nine and seemed to be doing fine. He had uh, eight punts in that game against the Bears last week. But for whatever reason, Coach Mike Vrabel this uh, this week decided to go with rookie Trevor Daniel off the practice squad. Mm. Um, and it was, unfortunately for him, not a great introduction to the NFL. Um, he only had two punts. I believe throughout the game, the first one was fine, but then the next one he shanked. It went just 17 yards and gave the Colts great field possession. And then his next one was blocked in return for the touchdown, as I mentioned earlier. Um, yeah, so, that's definitely unfortunate for the Titans, especially since they've had such a reliable punter in Kern for so many years. Uh, where does this put the Titans actually in the in the AFC South? You know, they started off undefeated, but they have been rough over the past couple weeks. Yep, now just two and three in their last five games. They're now tied atop the AFC South at six and three. That will be a certainly an interesting uh, division to watch as the season heads to a close. The Colts and Titans tied atop will be facing off against each other very soon. In just two more weeks, they'll be playing again. So that'll be a big game for both of those teams. That game's likely for the division, too. You get that uh, those division head-to-head games, tiebreakers. That's important. Uh so now that we've covered a bit of the, uh, the week nine slate, uh, or at least uh, we've covered the Thursday night football game, uh, let's go back to week eight. Uh, of course, you know, NFL football always, I think, in my opinion, at least, the best thing on TV. And uh, there were definitely some pretty crazy outcomes from that. Do you have, can you give me three games that you'd say uh, stood out to you from the slate? Absolutely. Yeah, first of all, we're going to start with the Seahawks and Bills. Uh, with the Bills continuing to surprise, this time Josh Allen throwing for over 400 yards. His top target has been Stephon Diggs. Um, after being traded from Minnesota, he's currently leading the league in receiving yards. Um, but this game, final score, the Bills did manage to pull it off 44-34. to 34. The big highlights is the Seahawks defense, one of the worst passing defenses in the league. Uh, they're currently sitting in second for most total yards allowed, despite having played one fewer game than other teams near the top. It, yeah, it becomes sort of a question now of how much their defense can hold up and just hope their offense scores enough to make up for it. Of course, their offense is doing amazingly with Russell Wilson and the dynamic duo of Metcalf and Lockett. Um, but the defense presents a new challenge. And in a very tough NFC West, you need every single one of those games. While they still have three NFC East games left to play and a matchup with the Jets, it's still looking good for them to at least make the playoffs, but it'll come down to those remaining divisional games, including two against the Rams uh, left in the season and a rematch against the Cardinals in a couple weeks. Yeah, okay. that uh, That's definitely true. The Seahawks, if they want to win a Super Bowl, are going to have to field a better defense than second worst in the NFL. Uh Give me another game that actually surprised you or was uh, a great, great viewing experience for the audience. Yeah, number two, I'm going to go with the 
uh, Las Vegas Raiders defeating the uh, LA Chargers 31 to 26. Justin Herbert continues to impress through th- for 326 yards, coming in large volume to Keenan Allen, who had nine catches on 11 targets. Unfortunately, the Chargers come up just a bit short, but there were a number of missed opportunities. First, uh, they failed a two-point conversion that gave them a chance to tie the game late in the fourth. Then they managed to force a three and out, so maybe they can get the ball back to win the game. But then they muffed the punt, giving the Raiders the ball back and another field goal. And even then, they still had a chance. Now down by five, they had a drive that took them all the way to the four-yard line before the final pass as time expired. It was called a touchdown on the field, but then overruled, definitely not a catch, and they fall short. Chargers have had a lot of close games this year. Of course, last week, they lost on a last-second touchdown on the other side to the Broncos. They've also lost in overtime twice to pretty good teams in like the Chiefs and the Saints. Um, and they've never actually lost by more than one score. But despite all this, they're sitting at the bottom of the AFC West at 2-6, and six, just even though if just a couple things go differently, they could easily be a 5-3 and three or 6-2 and two team. Yeah, the, uh, the Chargers, I think, are the, the biggest like, heartbreaker theme of the season, uh, especially after the, the firing of Dan Quinn in Atlanta. Raheem Morris is sort of right of the ship there. You got to say that that the Los Angeles Chargers are really innovators in losing. Uh, and it's, it's, I would agree with you. It's definitely a shame for Herbert, who uh, was, I think was, by all accounts, was trashed in the, uh, in the drafting process. And the Chargers, who were destroyed for taking him ninth overall, they certainly look like the draft geniuses at the moment. But yeah. maybe, I don't know. We, I think we'll look forward to more exciting ways the Chargers can lose the next couple <laughs> Of weeks, <laughs> yeah. The Chargers in they've had some historically unlucky seasons as well. There's a, I think it was the 2019 or 2010 maybe where they had, uh, like one of the best offenses and one of the best defense in the league, and they managed to miss the playoffs somehow. Um, but uh, even though they haven't had much playoff success in the past ten or so years with Philip Rivers, um, you know, certainly some hope for the future with Justin Herbert. Uh, yeah, so for a final game from week nine that I looked at was um, the Dolphins-Cardinals game. The Dolphins managed to come out on top 34-31. to Dolphins are surprising everyone this season. Uh, they've managed to beat a couple of these, uh, a couple NFC West teams that really no one expected them to. Um, and this was another exciting game that came down to the last second as... The Cardinals' Zane Gonzalez missed a 48-yard field goal that gave him a chance to tie with under two minutes to go. Of course, Kyler Murray, he's just pops off again, this time three passing touchdowns, 100 rushing yards, and a rushing touchdown as well. Um, and, you know, it was, it was a big test for Tua in just his second game. Um, but he was up to the task. He went toe-to-toe with the reigning offensive rookie of the year. And despite... A few people being sort of hesitant, questioning uh, the decisions of Miami to uh, go with him over Fitzpatrick, who was looking good for most of the season. He's looked pretty good so far. Yeah, definitely the Dolphins' uh, surprising team this year. Of course, you know, down the stretch last year, they beat uh, they beat New England, they beat Philadelphia. They uh, they are looking pretty good under Brian Flores, and I have to say. Uh, you know, all the, uh, 
We might. Uh, it's it's kind of crazy to think about the AFC East being a competition between the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins, uh, especially <laughs> with uh, with how bad the New England Patriots have looked. Of course, you know we don't want to get into it too much, but the Patriots almost losing to the 0-9 Jets would have been unthinkable at least like a year or two ago. Just a couple wrap-ups from last week. There were a few surprising scares. Uh, like you mentioned, the Patriots nearly lost to the Jets um, and needed a, a last-second field goal to win it. The Steelers uh, nearly lost to the Cowboys in another close game that the Steelers, but they managed to hold on to their undefeated record. Okay, yeah, so uh, what would you say are, are three big games that you'd look forward to this week? Uh, certainly some good matchups in there that you can point out. All right, absolutely. First of all, two teams we've already mentioned, but it should be a very exciting game. Two surprising teams again. It's the Bills and the Cardinals. They're playing at 405. Uh, as I just mentioned, Bills coming off an impressive win last week. And the opportunity to now head into their bye week at 8-2 and two, with many of their toughest games already behind them. Um, they'll still have a big matchup against Pittsburgh in December, but with a chance to sweep the formidable NFC West, um, it looks would put them in very good position for their first AFC East title since 95. Secondly, I'm going to look at the New Orleans Saints and San Francisco 49ers. New Orleans is coming off of a massacre of the Buccaneers' defense, winning in a 38-3 blowout on Sunday night. It was a pretty important win as well. Uh, they're staying undefeated within the NFC South, South and staying above the Buccaneers, who have looked pretty good this year. On the other hand, the 49ers have had a lot of injury problems throughout the year, um, but they're looking to bounce back from a couple losses and get some momentum heading into their own bye week. It's obviously, it's a tough decision. Sorry, obviously, it's a tough division for the 49ers, and the remaining schedule is giving them no favors. Um, so they'll have to pick up some wins against tough teams like this week if they want to return to the postseason. And finally, my third pick is a bit of an interesting one. It's the Steelers and the Bengals playing in the late afternoon slot on Sunday. The Steelers have remained undefeated, as I just said, but only just. They've had a lot of really close games going down to the wire. Um, and perhaps the biggest scare was last week, where they had to come back from a 10-point fourth-quarter deficit to beat the 2-7 and seven Cowboys. On top of it all, Ben Roethlisberger was placed on the COVID list earlier this week. And while the team has had plenty of experience with backup quarterbacks, just last season, they had six starts from rookie Duck Hodges. Um, they've also announced that they're planning as if Big Ben will play. Though I wouldn't count on it, I think there's a decent chance that Mason Rudolph, at least, I'm sure Mason Rudolph is at least ready to be playing for the majority of that game. We'll see how it turns out. The Bengals would normally be a pretty easy win with for the Steelers. Um, with all the extenuating circumstances, you never know. And the Bengals have actually surprised a couple teams this season. They beat the Titans um, two weeks ago, uh, and they've kept close with two other above 500 teams in the Browns and the Colts. Still, it's a long way off from the competition that the Steelers would pose, um, but I feel like this could be one of those trap games, especially with all the other things going on in the Steelers' locker room right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. The Steelers always seem to get themselves in these uh, terrible situations with bad teams, so we'll see if that uh, 
that holds here. Um, of course, uh, also have to point out the fact that uh, the 49ers, um, you know, it's all, often the losing team of the Super Bowl that has the hangover, not the winning team. And certainly the 49ers are having a hangover to remember right now. Uh, so, you know, we're halfway through the season. Uh, we've got a couple of undefeated teams. We've got a couple of terrible teams. Uh, we have the entirety of the NFC East, which is both unexplainable and entirely predictable. Uh, <laughs> what are your predictions uh, for the playoffs right now, uh, now that we're heading into week nine? All right, yeah. So let's start in the AFC. First, the somewhat easier, uh, pretty safe picks. Pretty sure everyone's got the Chiefs for the AFC West. The Bills are looking really good for the AFC East. And the Steelers, even though they've had they've had some tough competition, um, they're now two games up on the Ravens, as well as having defeated them last week. So I think they're looking really good to take the AFC North. For the South, it's wide open. The Titans, though, they're really on a downward trend. They started 5-0, and lost to the Steelers, lost a surprise game to the Bengals, and losing a tough game last night to the Colts. They'll really need to bounce back from that, and I think it won't be easy, and I don't expect them to come back for that division. Now, after that, it becomes... A lot more interesting for the wild cards this season of course they expanded the playoffs just a bit so now three wild card teams will be making the playoffs basically the teams you're looking at you've got the ravens at six and two you've got the titans who i just mentioned the dolphins who we've talked about um and the raiders and browns also surprising some people but they're actually right there as well i think the ravens is pretty much the safest bet of those um after that I'm actually going to go with the Dolphins as my second pick and then the Raiders as my third. Um, and the Browns, I, I have just on the outside looking in, still looking for their first playoff appearance in a long time. But uh, but it's a tough division for them. So I'll, uh, I'll interrupt you here with a quick question. So I don't know if you've seen the news, but uh, they... I believe they were thinking about if some games get canceled, uh, try to generate a little bit of additional revenue by adding an eighth team to the playoffs in, uh, in both leagues. So I guess who would be your pick for that, that eighth seed if, if it goes that way? Interesting, yeah. Um, you know, at this point, I would probably have to stick with the Titans, even though they haven't looked quite as good. Um, in the past few weeks, they have a couple, you know, they still have games against the Jags, against the Lions, against the Texans. Those should be pretty easy wins. They'll have a pretty important game in terms of the wild card against, um, actually, the next few weeks will be pretty important for them. They've got the Ravens coming up next. That'll be a tough one. And then a rematch against the Colts. And then they'll be hosting the Browns, which could be very important. Um, on the other side, if you're looking at, say, the Browns schedule, um, they've got the they've got a couple NFC East teams still left to play, so you would expect pretty good chances for wins there. So um, I think the Browns schedule is actually a little bit more favorable, but then it would again come down to that Browns Titans matchup in a few weeks. If it were to head to an eighth team, 
I'm going to give it to the Browns. Shout out to them. They've uh, come up short a couple in the past couple seasons. Um, and of course, it's been so long since they've made the playoffs. But um, but if they were to add an eighth team, I think the Browns might be able to pull it off. All right. Excellent analysis there on the AFC. Now let's move to a bit of a weaker conference in the NFC. What would you say uh, are your picks there? Yeah, the NFC is a pretty wide open uh, conference at this point. Their teams currently tied at two losses. We've got the Packers, the Saints, and the Seahawks. And all of those teams have appeared beatable at times. Um, so, you know, the Seahawks losing to the Cardinals um, just a couple weeks ago, you think maybe the Cardinals or even the Rams have a chance to challenge them for the division. I'm actually going to stick with the Seahawks to win the division, though, um, even though with tough competition. Um, it'll come down to most likely these next couple of games, the next uh, couple of weeks for them uh, against the Rams and the Cardinals. Uh, let's see. Moving to the NFC North, going to stick with the Packers. The Bears have looked pretty solid, but Packers um, with Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, just uh, incredible offense there. NFC South. Um, the Buccaneers, I think, really got their first big scare being absolutely demolished by the Saints last week. And so I'll be really interested to see how they come back. Their defense has impressed me at times during the season, but but last week has, you know, opened up a few questions for them. I'm actually going to go a bit of a bold prediction. I'm going to pick the Buccaneers there to come back. They'll have another game against the Saints later on in the season, which... Um, which will be very big in terms of uh, the division results. And, of course, the NFC East, well, you know, what, what even can you say? There's the Eagles sitting atop with three and a half wins right now. At this point, it's pretty hard to pick against the Eagles. That tie might actually come in pretty useful if they end up with the same amount of wins as, say, the Giants or Cowboys, but they have that extra tie to help them. Um, but, you know... At this point, I think anything could happen. I think the Washington football team could actually surprise some people. Uh, they've got a game against the Lions, which is a very winnable game, and perhaps only the third win outside the division for the NFC East. So anytime you can pick up a win from outside the division, that, that's pretty impressive for the NFC East. Um, <clears throat> but so... But I, I do think the Eagles, you know, with that tie and the actual win right now, I think they should be the favorites uh, to win the division. After that, we've got the wild card teams. Um, it's it's pretty wide open. There are a lot of teams that are really close. I think my number one pick for those would be the Cardinals. They've looked really good. Um, they've managed to beat the Seahawks, uh, coming off a tough loss to the Dolphins last week, but. Overall, very impressive. Kyler Murray is just absolutely insane. Secondly, I'm going to go with the... Uh, actually, sticking with the NFC West, I'm going to go with the Rams. So, yeah, three teams, I think... It's not even a bold prediction. Three teams from the NFC West making the playoffs. And finally, I think I'm going to go with the Buccaneers. Uh, the Buccaneers' defense, in addition to... Tom Brady, most likely, you know, he doesn't take 
many losses back to back, you know. Um, and so bouncing back from a tough loss against the Saints, I think he'll have a good opportunity to um, really take this team pretty far. And with some of the players, some of his uh, receiving core returning with Godwin, um, should be a good opportunity for them to make the playoffs as well. Yeah, of course. Did you uh, mention the eighth team at all? Or I have not. So if there was an eighth team, I think the safest bet has to be the Bears. They looked pretty good. Um, just looking around, you know, I just can't imagine any team really making, you know, making more of a of a move than them. Mm-hmm. Um, within the division, you've got the Vikings and the Lions. You know, I you know I feel like those are teams that. They could pick up a win or two to upset, but I don't see them putting together a consistent rest of the season to make up two games or a game and a half against the Bears. Um, the NFC East, I just, well, you know, I think no one's expecting anything from them. Um, the The biggest competition, I would say, is the 49ers, which I think would be funny with possibly all four teams making the playoffs in that situation. Um, but obviously, it's a tough schedule for them. Uh, still to go so yeah no that's uh yeah the nfc east man it's just <laughs> i they I, I believe statistically they are the worst division in football so i am i don't know as a fan of the eagles myself i'm both happy that we're in the lead and disgusted by every minute of football i watch uh but i think that'll do it for us on the uh the football side of things uh, just wanted to clear one thing up with you, since uh, you are also our resident baseball expert. Uh, the Marlins have actually hired the first female GM in the history of baseball. And I, I could be wrong, but the history of any of the big four. Um, uh, Kim Kim Ng, uh, I hope I'm saying that right, uh, is the said to be the first female GM uh, heading the Marlins now after they had that surprise uh you know, playoff birth, uh, your, your reaction? Uh, well, this is certainly news to me. Uh, that's very exciting. I think that's, that's great. Um, and as an Asian American myself, I'm always happy to see, um, Asian Americans in big positions in sports. Um, she's also the first Asian American GM in baseball history. So that's pretty cool. Um, she certainly has, you know, the chops to do it. She's, um, She's been on, you know, on the, uh, what's the word? Like, hold on. I don't know. She, she's been on the management teams for some good teams. She was um, an assistant general manager uh, for the Yankees back when the Yankees were great with Brian Cashman in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, and she was on the Dodgers for many years as well uh, before working um, – as the uh, before working in the commissioner's office, actually for the MLB, so um, very exciting news. Congratulations to her and the Marlins. You know, very interesting team. They surprised a lot of people this season, managing to make the playoffs in the ex- expanded format. Um, we'll see if they can keep it up. I think in a longer season, it'll be tougher. You know, especially you think they perhaps don't have the uh, the quality of roster to put up uh, that type of season across 162 games, but 
you know, we'll see. And we'll see what uh, she can do over the next few years from the GM position. Yeah, that uh, I think that just about sums it up. Thank you, Daniel, so much for for coming on, breaking down the NFL and great detail and, you know, a little bit of MLB news as well uh, during the beginning of this offseason. Uh, have a good rest of the day and hope you enjoy the week nine slate. Yep. Thanks for having Actually, me. Actually, wait, it's week 10, right? I've been calling it week nine the whole time. I think it's week 10, yeah. <laughs> it's week 10. It is week 10. Okay. Just in your minds, replace week nine with week 10 whenever you hear this, this podcast. Uh, <laughs> all right. But yeah, thanks, Daniel. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for having me. Okay. Uh, quick, quick thing. I think you were, I don't know if either it was you cutting out or me cutting out, but would you be able to do like a, a one and a half minute summary of all your playoff picks for the NFC and the AFC? Cause I don't know if it was on my end or on your end. Sure. So yeah. Just in okay. case we can something in, uh, I'll start five, four, three. So Daniel, all right, we've got, we're about halfway through the season. We're about to start week 10. Who are your picks to make the playoffs on both sides? Of course, divisions, wild cards, and maybe a little bit of an extra wild card team because of COVID concerns. Yeah, so first on the AFC side, I've got moving down the divisions, the Bills looking very good in the AFC East. The Colts picking up a big win over the Titans. I think they, they'll be able to hold on to the AFC South. Um, the Steelers undefeated and having a big win against the Ravens a couple weeks ago, um, giving them the tiebreaker for the AFC North. And the Chiefs looking dominant as ever, reigning Super Bowl champs for the AFC West. For the wild cards, my first pick there is the Ravens. Um, tough division that looks like they won't be able to pull it out in the AFC North, but still a very good team with Lamar Jackson at the helm. Um, then a bit of a surprise pick. I think the Dolphins will continue to impress me. They've impressed a lot of people the past few weeks. And finally, my third choice is the Raiders. Um, who had a nice win against the Chiefs a few weeks ago that really burst up them onto the scene, and then a close win against the Chargers last week. If we were to go to an eighth team, I think the Titans would be there um, really close with the Browns, and then it might come down to strength of, strength of schedule and a matchup between the Titans and the Browns in a few weeks. Um, so I've got the Browns as a possible eighth seed if it gets that far. All right, uh, on to the NFC, I guess. All right, for the NFC, we'll start out west this time with the Seahawks. Even though they did lose to the Cardinals a couple weeks ago, I've still got them um, taking the division. For the north, the Packers looking very good with, uh, of course, the offense of Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. In the south, the Saints picked up a pretty big win in terms of tiebreakers over the Buccaneers last week. So I've got them winning the South. And then the NFC East is wide open, but I think the Eagles have to be the favorite at this point. They have the extra win and the tie, which could be, play an important part as the season comes to a close. As for the wild card, my first pick is definitely the Cardinals, who've looked very good throughout the season with Kyler Murray. Secondly, I'm going to go with the Buccaneers. And finally, the Rams. So I'm thinking at least three teams make it out of that NFC West division. And should there be any last-minute changes because of COVID, I think it comes down to the 49ers and the Bears. At this point, I think I'm going to stick with the Bears to pull off the eighth seed should it get that far. Thank you so much.
All right. Next on the JumboCast podcast, we've got a little bit of international soccer going on with Lucas Pyle. Lucas, welcome to the podcast. And yeah, it's excited to have good you. to be back. Yeah, good to be back. Thanks for having me, Trevor. Um, oh, good to be back on the JumboCast podcast. I, I love having you on. It, it warms my heart. <laughs> but, you know, it also warms your heart is the fact that there were some Euro qualifier games. Do you want to give us a quick recap of those? Yeah, so there were uh, four, there were final four spots were up for grabs um, yesterday. Of course, the Euros were supposed to happen this past summer, but the pandemic, as it has caused so many things to either be canceled or postponed, it postponed the Euros. So they're hoping to have it uh, for the next summer, uh, for 2021. And the final four spots were up for grabs yesterday. Um, and there were four games, uh, the first one between North Macedonia and Georgia. Both sides were competing uh, to take part in their first ever major tournament. North Macedonia winning that game. A goal uh, scored by the 37-year-old Goran Pandev. It was a nice left-footed finish to finish off a team move. Uh, if you remember uh, Jose Mourinho's Inter Milan squad of 2010 that won the Champions League, Goran Pandev was on that team. Um, so sort of a blast from the past, but scoring the goal to send North Macedonia through. Um, so that was the first game. Uh, in the second game, uh, Hungary and Iceland, two of the teams that were sort of um, the breakthrough stars of the Euro 2016 competing for one of the spots. Hungary winning 2-1. They scored two goals, uh, one in the 88th minute and then one in the 92nd minute to win that game. Uh, Sabozlai, who's uh, been attracting uh, some big teams. He's playing at Red Bull Salzburg. He's been attracting the interests of teams like Arsenal, other big teams. Uh, he scored the winning goal, fantastic finish uh, to send them through. Uh, Scotland will also be at the Euros. Uh, it's their first big tournament uh, since World Cup 98. They won on penalties against Serbia. Uh, Alexander Mitrovic, the Fulham striker, missing the crucial penalty. Um, and actually the goalkeeper, when he saved it, didn't realize that they had uh, just qualified for the Euros. He still thought that it was going on. And then you can sort of see his face when he realized that he's just won them uh, a spot at next summer's Euros was incredible to watch. Uh, so Scotland will be there. Um, and then Slovakia getting the final spot. They beat Northern Ireland 2-1 in extra time. Um, so yeah, so those are the four teams that uh, clinched a spot that's completed the 2014 uh, tournament. So it should be a very exciting Euros uh, to look forward to. Yeah, so uh, you were mentioning a little bit that you had some predictions for how the brackets are going to go up. Why don't you, uh, why don't you show us our bracket? Uh, yeah, so uh, so if we're going through the groups, so the groups um, were confirmed yesterday because of you know the final four teams uh, being um, you know booking their place at next summer's Euros. Uh, so just a quick run through of the groups. Group A, you have Italy, Wales, Switzerland, and Turkey. In B, you've got Belgium, Russia, Denmark, Finland. Group C, Netherlands, Ukraine, Austria, North Macedonia. Group D, England, Croatia, Scotland, and the Czech Republic. Uh, in Group E, Spain, Poland, Slovakia, Sweden. And then Group F, sort of saving the best for last, Germany, Portugal, France, and Hungary. Um, so in terms of sort of groups to watch out for, Group F is obviously the main candidate. Uh, group D, I'm excited because you have that UK rivalry of England versus Scotland. Uh, and then also Group B, where you've got a Scandinavian rivalry uh, between Finland and Denmark. So those are sort of the 
the groups and the matches I'm looking forward to. Um, but yeah, I did a, a quick run through of my very early predictions. Um, and I think at the end of it, I had uh, Belgium beating Portugal uh, to win uh, the Euro. So I have Belgium to win their first ever major tournament. Um, and Belgium, uh, the way that I sort of foresaw what uh, what's or trying to foresee what's going to happen, are going to have a very tough road getting there. I had them beating France in the round of 16, beating Italy in the quarterfinals, beating Germany in the semifinals uh, to beat Portugal uh, in the finals. So if they are to win it, it'll be a very tough road for them. But I think they've got the quality with the likes of De Bruyne, um, one of the best midfielders in the world. They've got good defenders and Hazard and Lukaku up front. That's that's a pretty uh, potent combination. And you know, uh, Euro 2016, they made it to the, only the quarters, but the World Cup, they made it to the semis. So, you know, just if we're keeping by that trajectory, I think they're going to make it to the final and, uh, and get that win. Um, and then in terms of surprises elsewhere, I, I see England falling off short. I think some people maybe have England going further. I'm going to see them falling off at the round of 16. I don't trust their back line and I don't trust their manager. Um, so I don't think they'll go that far. France as well, I think they might struggle in their group. Um, and I, I obviously have them losing to Belgium in the round of 16. Um, and then it'll be interesting to see teams like Portugal and the Netherlands. I have them facing off in a semifinal. Um, I think the Netherlands might go far depending on if the bracket is kind to them. But I think their lack of a true uh, center forward might hurt them. Uh, in the process. And then I have I have Portugal going to the final. Um, a combination of Bruno Fernandes and Cristiano Ronaldo is, is pretty exquisite. And Ruben Diaz, who's right now at Man City, seems to be settling in and is a good defender. So um, I have Portugal going to the final again, but just missing out uh, this time to Belgium. Um, but it should be a great tournament uh, when it comes around. That's for sure. Yeah, thank you, Lucas. That was a great summary of things. And we'll uh, we'll see if your predictions come true there. Now, uh, a bit on the less international stage, we've got a couple of slates coming up in the Premier League and maybe a couple other leagues. Any exciting games to look out for in the uh, in the countrywide leagues? Yeah, so I mean, my focus has always always got to be on the Premier League. I, I still uh, have it. As the, I still have it as the best league in the world, and. Um, and this season has certainly been a roller coaster. Um, and there's some great matches um, will be coming the following week. We're still in that international break, which is always, uh, you know, oh, it never as exciting uh, as mm-hmm. good league play. Um, but uh, some big games, uh, sort of sort of top of the table clashes right up, uh, right off the bat. Liverpool versus Leicester is an incredibly big game. Leicester on top of the league right now. Um, they're on a fine run of form. They uh, beat Arsenal, I think, in their last game. Uh, they beat Wolves, so that's you know a good win, puts them in a good position. Liverpool, of course, um, you know, champions from last season, but injuries have been hurting them a lot. You know, we were talking uh, before coming on air. Mohamed Salah just tested positive for coronavirus. Not to mention, you've got Trent Alexander-Arnold, Joe Gomez, Van Dijk, uh, Fabinho, all uh, injured. You know, so it'll be a makeshift defense for them and. Uh, I think if you know if you're someone like Jamie Vardy, you're going to be uh, very excited to play against that sort of defense. So it should be very interesting to see how that game goes. Um, Tottenham versus Man City is a big game. Uh, you know, Tottenham. I 
you know, it, it pains me to say this as an Arsenal fan, but I kind of see Tottenham winning the league this year. You know, it's so wide open and with Liverpool's injuries. And I think Tottenham have got a good, strong squad. They made a lot of great improvements and obviously have a proven winner in Jose Mourinho as their coach. Um, and if they beat Man City, I think that for me is further proof that they can win the league because um, Man City right now are looking very, very vulnerable. Um, they did get a good point against Liverpool last time out, but, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think I have Tottenham winning that game and sort of further cementing their place as one of the title favorites uh, in this very, very strange season. Um, so those are two really, really big games to look out for. And then, of course, uh, more Champions League uh, once that comes back. So, you know, it'll be a, a great, you know, a great week of uh, of club soccer once once we get that back and running uh, and finish up these these boring international fixtures because they they are certainly a bore. That's for sure. Uh, well, you know what? You're never a bore on the podcast, Lucas Pyle. I can tell you that much. Uh, one quick question as a, as a mm. Liverpool fan myself, uh, mm. I feel like this year, I guess this could talk about the broader Premier League as a whole, but I feel like this year has not been as sterling for uh, the defending champs as they would have liked. Uh, mm. What have you seen out of them? And I guess what have you seen out of the rest of the league to challenge them so well? You know, yeah, it's been it's been incredibly interesting. And I think, you know, that 7-2 defeat to Aston Villa really sort of shocked everyone. And there have been a lot of, you know, very interesting results. You know, Leicester crushing Man City 5-2. Arsenal were also, you know, beaten pretty easily by Aston Villa 3-0. Um, you know, Tottenham beating Man United 6-1. There have been all these sort of very weird big scoring games in which, you know, supposed big teams have been crushed i think liverpool are still obviously favorites they've got an incredible front line um we're still waiting to you know really see tiago be unleashed because he's only played in two games um but i think you know they they've they've loved to jurgen klopp um throughout the years you know continuing um you know as a coach he's done an incredible job but he's keeps trying to implement sort of this high line defensively and, and especially in the game against Aston Villa, that was just caught out on so many occasions. Um, and maybe he might sort of lean away from that, especially, uh, you know, with Van Dyke being gone for basically the entirety of the, of the season, he might be a little less um, inclined to sort of play that high line and a bit more of a risky defensive uh, strategy. But I think Liverpool are certainly, you know, it's been a sort of roller coaster start to the season, but they're still very much, uh, in the contention for the title, and you know, a a win against Leicester would certainly do them the world of good. Um, I don't think they have the squad depth at the moment to compete on all fronts, um, but they certainly have the quality. Even if it is a makeshift defense, they certainly have the quality to uh, to win the league this year. So I think Liverpool fans shouldn't panic just yet. I think I'm just seeing that other teams are certainly going to give them. Uh, a run for their money, much more so than than last season. It certainly won't be an easy uh, an easy path to victory as it was last season. Um, yeah, but of course yeah, that should be incredible. That Liverpool Leicester game is going to look a little more appealing. Southampton too is definitely surprising. But yeah. Lucas, thank you so much for for coming on. We appreciate all your your football knowledge or soccer knowledge. I don't know how you want to refer to it as, but. Uh, <laughs> We'll, uh, we'll talk to you later. Thank you so much, Trevor. Thanks for having me. All right. Good talking to you.